Here we go. It's the first quarter to begin. You want to toss up a Hail Mary. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. If you're good at something, never do it for free. I'd like to be pimped from Oakland or Cowboys from Arizona, but it's not Halloween. Look, my friend, this is just where you and I differ. Grow up, Peter Pan. Chocula. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. And they stay there. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. He's Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up, uh, where the hell are we? We're up 55. We're up, uh, 202 in the NASDAQ, 383 in the Dow. As Putin said, they might talk again. So we fired up. So remember that, uh, remember that intro, Kevin. Don't ask me questions if you can't handle the answers, whatever they said. Now, is, is that intro new or is it just so old that it even predates me? Um, I think it's, I don't even know that it was ever in there. I never heard it before. We're not so sure. Yeah, we're not, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's just, made, so old, I, ever, I forgot it. Let's put it that way. Gotta be one of our firsts. Matt Weber, I think, has a lot of, uh, little jewels in there. He very seldom pulls out. I don't want to hear about Matt Weber's jewels. Yes. Um, it was good to, hear, good to have him back yesterday, wasn't it? It was, uh, yeah, it was. It was nice to hear his voice again. Yeah, and the uh, I love the part about. But enough the, is enough, you know. We move yeah, on. We move on. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I like the part about. You know, it's funny they they got the dog before they had the baby, right? And they said he said the dog is uh, fine with the baby. Uh, he's he's okay with that, but he's a real snoozer. That that dog. He, he's still upstairs because he's just not happy when a baby wakes him up in the middle of the night. He like looks at Matt, and goes, "What the hell? Can't she stay asleep like everybody else?" It's like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's got the most, world's most expressive dog, Venkman. Some some uh, mutt they got from the shelter. Good boy, but yeah, he's a character. Just, just saying. So uh, we have yet another. There's going to be peace. There's not going to be peace. Uh, I don't think there's going to be peace over there. And I think I, we should give it a chance. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's an old one. There you go. Um, we had a. a I mean, guy. That's all I'm saying. Yes, yes. Well, what was that? Uh, who sang that song? Give peace a chance. Who the hell was that? John Lennon. Yeah, that's right. John Lennon. You've heard of him, haven't you? I've, I've heard of him. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he was. Uh, well, he came to an untimely end, unfortunately. They, whatever is that guy still in jail? Shot him. Mm, I, think good he, I, I think he is. Well, I mean, it's not that he shouldn't be. I mean, I just—you never know these days. Uh, what? Um, I was reading something here this morning, and of course they've got. You know, just we were here nice and early this morning, so I was listening to CNBC, and I got a lady on there. And, it'll teach you yeah. to show up. Oh early. God! And uh, it, it is so startling to me, though, that the that they sh- they they should put on the bottom of when somebody comes on what the, what their job is. I mean, they say who they are and introduce them, but the people who manage people's money and get a percentage and just wait for the stock for the market to go up, and that's how they get more money from people. Uh, the and and just and just always are looking for rally and always looking for people to put money in the market because it's only going to go one way, right? So it, it is startling that stocks are down eleven percent. It's an amazing buying opportunity. Wait a minute, has anything changed from the time they were up eleven percent to now? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, 
So you just, just give us, and then we hope it should just go right back. And it, so any stock deserves to be at its all time high or higher. I mean, the the, the, the kind of the uh, the assumption and, and, and the aside from the deserved, it's the inevitably will be. Too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So you look at the ten stocks that came out as IPOs, the the Robin Hoods of the world, those kinds of places that probably never even should have been an IPO. Uh, those things are some of them traded thirty five. I went through the list last week. When some of them traded thirty, thirty five, and they're now like two, so they're, they have to go back to thirty six because some somebody someday, one day actually paid paid that. Um, anyway, hey, what, what, what's the story with uh, Khalil Mack? He's gone. The Irish lose. Uh, what the hell? It, kind of a um, kind of a, an interesting sports day. They had, they had this other thing. I, I heard a, something about Major League Baseball doing something. Too. Oh yeah, and I've got that here. Uh, we can. Kind are, of, you, are you going to uh, gear back up and go to spring training? Um, I think I might, uh, but, but I don't know what uh, I'm going to call my guy. See if he's heading down or what they're doing. But uh, this is a. Uh, let me kind of run through this real quick. Uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, Yahoo Sports here. Well, there still is a Yahoo Sports, eh? Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of stunned that they're going to uh, get all 162 games in. Yeah, they're going to do it with double headers and. No more seven inning double headers. They're all going to be. They're going back to nine innings. They're uh, getting rid of the man on second uh, in extra innings. Um, so not only are they going to play more double headers, but they are going to play longer. Um, I don't. See, plus, are, are we talking about? I'm sure the answer is no. I'm not sure. I'm ninety percent sure. Are we talking about double headers like in our day, where your ticket got you two games, or? Every one of them going to be the afternoon. Or day night, yeah. Um, don't know what to tell you about that time. I'm going to say they're going to be during the day, kick you out, bring you back in, which is is so ignorant. If you're a season ticket holder, I, I can't even, I can't, even, <laughs> I can't even go there. But if anybody knows what the hell I'm talking about, uh, way back in the day, they actually used to have Sunday doubleheaders scheduled, and some teams, well, the Cubs didn't have lights, but Sox did. They would have like a twilight night doubleheader on a Friday night or something. Which are pretty neat because a lot of people got off work early and they would start what around three o'clock, Kevin, and then uh, oh later, later, more like five o'clock, I think. Uh, no, twilight night. I'm gonna yeah. Let's split it. Let's say four thirty somewhere in there. But but you could go early and watch the first game, or you could uh, if you got there at like uh, the regular time, say six thirty or seven, you got to see the last few innings of the last game and and, the, and and all the next game. But games didn't take that long in those days. Right, you know, it was a five-hour time slot for the doubleheader, rather than you know a four-hour time slot for a regular game. But they would only be what fifteen minutes between games. Just run out there and redo the field, and out they went again. Right? Yeah, fifteen, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But yeah, it was just you know uh, drag the field, let the players go in and uh, and have a snack and whatever else they needed to do, and then uh, back to it. And. uh well, they had those, and, and Wilbur Wood would be back on the mound just like he was at the uh, on the first game. <laughs> That's right. And uh, but now they they'll have the afternoon game, boot you out like three hours later. I don't know what the players do for three hours. Uh, then they start out another game. It's a whole new crowd. But if you're a season ticket holder, or if you happen to be a skybox guy, I mean that that's really inconvenient. Unless what do you do? Sleep in the skybox? You can't even. They boot you out, right? Uh, if they boot you out, yeah, you're definitely uh, you're, you're definitely screwed. Um, so it's a uh, anyway. So here's the uh, here's where the deal reportedly landed. Um, minimum major league player salary will rise from five seventy to seven hundred, and escalate to seven eighty by the end of the deal. Uh, 
So that's, you know, some progress for the younger guys. Uh, competitive balance tax threshold, which essentially is like a luxury tax, uh, or like a, like a, sort of like a, a cap, but not really. You can go over it, you just gotta pay. We'll start at 230 million in 2022 and rise to 244 with a deal. I think it was what, 205 or 210 last year? Yeah, something like that. So the initial change is a bit of a spike. It's probably one contract's worth of a spike. The, uh, the incremental increases are trivial in the scheme of things for baseball. Yes, fifty thousand dollars. This, this I do not understand. A fifty thousand dollar. That's, that's chump change. Bonus pool will be distributed annually. That's got to be a misprint. Fifty thousand dollar bonus pool will be distributed annually to the most productive players who haven't reached arbitration. Um, yeah, I, I read that too when I thought that they must mean fifty thousand per player. It has to be because we're talking about somebody who. Has uh you you're, you can't be in arbitration for five years? Yeah, they're not they're not going to take you know ten players, twenty players, whatever the number is. Even if it's five players, they're not going to take those and distribute ten thousand dollars and call that significant. Or uh, I mean, uh, uh, split up fifty thousand between them and call it significant. So it has to mean uh, per player. Right, and because uh, some people obviously and, and, and that's to make them whole for one year or not whole but to improve their lot for one year while they're waiting for their arbitration year to show up well let's see because uh, there are well there are people that after two years it's pretty obvious that under on their signing contract are, are clearly outliers right you know uh, that uh, you have to wait for their arbitration now, uh, the guy like uh, you know is it when when you how, how do they how does it count the year? If you play one day, is that, is that considered in a year a, a year in Major League Baseball? Uh, I don't know. I, I I know there is a start uh, start date that if you're not called up before X, this was Chris Bryant's big beef with the Cubs. Um, you know, if you're not called up by some date in late February, then uh, your year doesn't count as a service year. But if you are, I don't know if that one, you know, if you come up for one day, I don't know if that counts, how that counts for service. Well, how does a guy like, uh, Patrick Wisdom, he's, uh, he's been up and down, I was, and he's 31 years old or whatever, is he, is he in his sixth year, seventh? I mean, where is he? Is I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, okay, the, a draft lottery out of the ABA, but only six picks involved. We institute as part of an effort to discourage tanking. Uh, teams will be eligible for draft pick incentives. If they promote top prospects for opening day, so there's kind of an incentive to that, Kevin. I don't think necessarily change. Yeah, that's that's the other part that speaks to the what we described uh, with Chris Bryant. Um, so that's kind of where they're at. They also there's something here about um, uh, an, inter- an international draft. What do you, what do you know about that? Uh, not not a lot of details. There's long been uh, an international signing period with a cap on the number of. Um, of players you can, uh, or a, a, a cap on the dollar amount you can spend on international players. And if you remember back when the Cubs were building their team, they were not only, um, you know, dealing off uh, some of their veterans for prospects, but they were also dealing off some of their veterans for um, for some of the other teams' international money, which was tradable. And that's what uh, they used to sign in the same year Glaber Torres and Eli Jimenez, who are both playing for other teams. Because um, some teams, if you go back ten years, your your Venezuelan, Cuban, those kinds of those kinds of players, uh, they were totally out. You didn't draft those people, right? Those people. You didn't draft them. You ju- uh, but 
but for the last I don't know how many years, um, you, but not, not a lot. Uh, but you you had a, a cap on how much you could actually spend on those guys. So you didn't draft, but you and they were all free agents. But you know there there was a, an amount of bonus money or contract money that you could allocate to it. Well, because some teams have been, uh, I'd say, very progressive, if I'll use that term, uh, in, in going after uh, players from the Dominican Republic and, and Venezuela, or who wants to go down there now. Uh, the White Sox have always done very well with Latin American players. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually kind of surprised when they dumped Ricky Renneria for that reason, because he uh, did so well with them, and the team is really comprised of a lot of those guys, right? Of course, right. Yeah, and and what and they they've sort of built a, a culture around it where they have and always seem to have really strong veterans uh, who uh, come from a Latin American country, like, you know, a Jose Abreu uh, as an example, right? Um, where they're they're not just good ball players, but they're really good uh, leaders, and and when the uh, new guys come in. Uh, from other countries, they they take them under their wing and help them uh, figure things out for living here. Because you know, I mean, it's it's one thing to come and play baseball; it's another thing to come and navigate life yeah. when you don't even speak the language in a country. Well, even uh, you go back to Roberto Clemente. I mean, he was from uh, what he was from the Dominican Republic or is he from Puerto Rico? Dominican Republic. Puerto Rico. Puerto, when he came to uh, his first spring training in South Florida. Back in uh, the, the days where, where people weren't near as uh, progressive, shall we say, and uh, people of color, he had, a, he had a rough time in spring training. You know, and it was a big, big shift for him. I mean, I, I'll bet it sucked, basically. Yeah, you know who who uh, got the spring training thing from? You know, back in the days, uh, right was the Cardinals, um, because you know when you were, especially in the late fifties and early sixties. And it, this was aimed more at the black players, but it's not like the Latin players were uh, were especially welcomed either. And so everybody's going down to uh, Florida for spring training, and this is you know this is deep south at the time. And um, and the you know none of the, um, the the black players had to couldn't uh, stay in the same hotels as the white players, and uh, so they had, they had to go to a different part of town, and. So the Bush family said, "Well, that's not right." They went and bought their own hotel right near their spring training facility, and said, "Come on here!" And yeah. they had everybody staying there, uh, and that included, you know, people who bring their families and you know, wife and kids down for uh, uh, for the duration of spring training. And it really was something that made they got those teams to bond um, better, you know, better, you know, than most, better across races than most. That was uh, still kind of when I started going down to spring training in 1982 or three, I believe. The, the minor leaguers would all stay in one big hotel or motel in Mesa because Mesa didn't even have any hotels, I don't think. Uh, but the you know the the major major well, if, if you were a big shot, you got yourself an apartment or something. You know, if you're a decent player, but if you were just a schlump, you play. You stayed at this one place, and I stayed there, and it was you know it was just a regular motel. I mean, it was pretty you know a nice motel, but it wasn't surely wasn't a Taj Mahal. And the minor leaguers stayed like two blocks away in another place, and they just you know, hanging out there by the pool and stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, when, uh, Ron Siano tells a story that well, he was from Seattle, which has obviously been pretty progressive forever, uh, in a good way. And he was, you know, he and, here's a little known trivia 
if you ever uh, ask what two players played more teams together, more games together as teammates than any other player in Major League history, it would be Billy Williams and Ron Sano, right? Well, I, I believe it. I, I don't know that. You know, I, I don't know that trivia question, but I, it, it would be reasonable to. Uh, it would be a reasonable guess. Well, they were in the minor leagues together, and uh, so Brad Sano says they get they're on the bus, and all of a sudden they stop in one place because of this kind of weird neighborhood, and out goes Billy Williams and some other guy, and he goes, "Where the hell are they going? Well, they, they can't stay in the same hotel." And Sano goes, "Well, why are we staying there if our teammates can't stay there?" You know, good question, Brad. <laughs> Duh, right? Um, yeah, but, this but, is, but you know, it's. It, it's it's always nice to know that there are some people that immediately don't look at the status quo and say that ain't right. Oh yeah, uh, because it was always so easy for people in those days to just say status quo. That's just the way it is. You know, you don't think twice about it. Um, yeah, well, I, I would. I'd have a problem with it. <laughs> Even then, I would have. I think in nineteen sixty. I would. I would like to think I would have had a big problem with it. Yeah. Anywho, so uh, the Bears. I'd say the Khalil Mack experiment was a dud. Oh, I wouldn't. Why? First of all, why do you? Why does it an experiment? Well, I mean, the idea of going to another team, uh, you know, they gave up a bunch to get him. They paid him a fortune. It was kind of the wrong timing that the team didn't go anywhere. He didn't. Well, he, the, the first year they did. They, you know, they they were a double doink away from the NFL cha- or NFC Championship. All right. Well, and they had a really good team. They had a great defense that year. Yeah, well, okay. And no. Mac was the anchor of the defense. Right, so they got one year, two years maybe. And they had a good defense the next year too. And yeah, it would be nice if they got more than that. But he started getting injured. How do you predict injuries? You oh. know, so if if you're going to say it was a dud, it, and and it was, it certainly wasn't a predictable dud. Uh, how do you predict injuries? Well, that's why sometimes you don't get somebody after their first three or four years in the in football. These days, yeah, I, I, I don't. They, of all the deals they've made, uh, the the big deals that cost them a lot, that's that's the one that I question the least. Well, okay, we can. Have it, a, you know, the one I question the most is Jay Cutler that they traded a lot for him, and it wasn't so much the price tag. It was that after that they never put a priority on putting a line in front of him. Well, yeah. Well, that's it. I guess I mean, that's, I, I, I'm not saying Cutler would have been the greatest quarterback in the league, but he would have been upper third. Uh, he could have been upper third of the league. And I'm not saying that he would have ever been, you know, <laughs> the world's most charming guy, because he wouldn't. But on the other hand, he was flat on his back most of the time. He, he you know, he, he was always the most sacked quarterback in the league, and he was always the most knocked down quarterback in the league. So even if he wasn't sacked, they were knocking him on his butt. And, you know, and and to his credit, he got up every time. Um, I'll, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. But you know, that that's what made that acquisition dumb. Not not that he cost a lot, but that he but that they just never saw fit to put linemen around him. Well, I, I guess where I'm going with this is economically. I, I think these things are all horrible trades, Kevin. I honestly do, and I really do believe that the, the Denver Broncos thing with Russell Wilson is a horrible trade because you. You handicap yourself in such a tremendous. I mean, in foot, football, you you can you can say the Tom Brady's, and you can say, of course, the guy couldn't wait to find a team that had an offensive line when he moved from uh, New England, which I don't blame him at all. Uh, matter of fact, I absolutely don't blame him. Uh, but the 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 idea of of five people for one or four people for one 
and then paying the guy so much on top of it that you can't go out in the free agency, which really means seven people for one. In a 17-game season, I don't know, Kevin. I, I just think it's a horrible trade. I mean, in terms of, I, don't, I mean, I, I think they very rarely work out. Well, as we discussed that, then you must really hate the Aaron Rodgers signing. Um, you know, I didn't read that much about him. I was more, more that, that day I was more reading about the Russell Wilson thing. And I just, I heard he was going back to Green Bay. I didn't read the details. Well, it's, uh, it's like, um, reportedly, it is, uh, four years, 200 million bucks. Um, and then the next thing they're gonna have to do is keep Devontae Adams, so they're probably gonna have to franchise tag him. Uh, that will leave the Packers about 17 million over the salary cap with the contracts they currently have in, in force. Um, so they're going to have to get rid of players and, um, and and to and, and that and and among those uh, uh, among the contracts in force are not the guys who are on the team or have been on the team all along but have expiring contracts. So they also have to either re-sign or replace many of their players whose contracts are up. And it's it is going to be really really interesting to watch the Packers try to cobble together a roster. That's competitive, other than it's it's best two or three, four, maybe even four players, because I, I think they'll get Bakhtiari back. Yeah, that's and, the that's the that. same. I mean, I, actually, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Russell Wilson, but when he got his big contract with Seattle, they had to do the same thing, right? They had to get rid of a few mm-hmm. guys, and oh, by the way, they couldn't sign any other guys. So all of a sudden, he's got you know horse bleep around him, relatively, not that they're bad players, but the. Relatively, and all of a sudden he can't win, so now somebody else wants him, and they're going to do the same, same thing there. <laughs> Only this time, they're giving up what? A one, two, and, is it a one, two, and three this year, and a one and two next year? Those, those, I mean, you're also making the, making the, the jump that you're going to be a Super Bowl team, and those are going to be the, like the 30th picks or 32s. That doesn't always work out. I mean, if you suck, those become, those become 10th picks. All of a sudden you really gave somebody a franchise. Right? Yep. Well, and, and let's uh, jumping back onto the um, uh, the Bears situation. Uh, they did trade a lot for Mac, and they got some good years out of him. Uh, you know, some some All Pro caliber years, and they did sign him to a big contract. But that that contract has eighty five million left on it, and that's all going away in this deal. So they got a second round pick, which is great. They also unloaded eighty-five million worth of salary over three years. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's I'm, I'm kind of surprised. And, and, and so that's where you look and say, you know, did the Bears get a lot of, uh, you know, they're going to get a second-round draft pick this in the upcoming draft, and they're going to get a sixth-round draft pick the following year? Does that sound like a lot for Khalil Mack? No, but on the other hand, it's a lot for taking eighty-five million of salary off their hands. And the Chargers, on the other hand, are going to have to figure out how to make it work with that all that salary on their hands. Well, I mean, I just, there, there are, if I was involved in one of these football teams, I, I wouldn't be a, a, you know, a billy ball kind of guy, but certain positions, it seems like you can never totally predict. But I, this, signing the, uh, the outlier guy at age, you know, 30 when somebody else has already gotten five good years out of him, I just don't, I don't think that that's a, it's, it's like, it's like signing pools. You know, you're, you're, you're. How old is Mac? I think he's, he's only 30, like 31. 31. Oh, he's 30. Uh, no. 31. I think he's 31. 
31. So they signed him when he was 27. Yeah. But he had, uh, what, he came out, did he come out early? I'm going to say he had at least six years behind him already. In a football age, he wasn't young. He went to Buffalo, so I, I, I don't know that he came out early. That's not a school where typically guys are scouted and, and leave. By the way, I was uh, I played, was playing softball one night with a kid who played for one of the, like Toledo or something, and that's in the uh, the, the Buffalo League. A pretty big kid, and he was uh, in the MAC. Yeah, yeah, and he was a pretty big kid, and he, was, he used to play center. And then he goes, uh, you know, you know more about this than me, Kevin. You played line way after I did. I played grammar school, but the uh, he said my job is if we were we were heading right, is to pull back real quick and make sure that somebody from the opposite side couldn't come across fast enough to disrupt the play. He goes, I, I hiked the ball, I turned, and the guy was already by me. It was Khalil Mack. He was that fast. <laughs> he, he was just, not only was he big, but he was amazingly fast. And Because uh, I had to really hustle just to get a piece of the guy. Because <laughs> we're running away from him. T- you know, But we couldn't run away from him. He was catching us from behind. <laughs> uh, you know, but there, there are people with that kind of talent. I mean, there's no doubt. You just, I mean, I, I just think the 17 game season is is, is is a whole different brand of ball in this football, Kevin. I really do. I mean, you really need the last guy in the roster has almost got to be as good as the first guy because he's going to play five games. You know, it, it it should adding the extra game, but even see, even back when they moved from 14 to 16, this should have triggered it. But uh, but it, it certainly with one more game and with what we've seen over the recent years and the number of injuries the teams have, it really should. It yeah. you know spreading it out. You know the the problem is that you 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 do need that star at quarterback to be competitive or somewhere, and you need some. Hold, 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 nobody's hold. competitive with a with a mediocre quarterback. Oh, you're not. You don't have a. If you have want a quarterback to last the year, you better have a pretty good tackle or two. But let's let's, let's yeah. continue this after. And so you know, there's, there's a, a handful of positions that yeah. you desperately need, and they're expensive. And if you want to, you know, if you draft well and you want to keep your guy, it's a, it's still expensive. And so it's hold it's that hard thought, Kevin. Let's be together. Let's be viewers up fifty-seven. As if he's up two thirty-one, be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. 
That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. CognosHR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tim Howell. He's just for Matt on the board. Uh, Matt Byrne, not Matt Weber. There's two Matts. We got two Matts. You know, we also had a we had a lady who helped out from Loyola a long time, Matt, and she was Maddie. Yeah. Girl, we had Guy Maddie and Girl Maddie, you know, so that was always difficult. But you yeah. can tell when she talked, it wasn't Matt Weber. You know. <laughs> Too many mats. Too many mats. Yeah. Uh, SP Futures up 58, NASDAQ Futures up 235. What's my nephew's name, Matt? He's in the office, too. There are all kinds of mats around here. Um, I'm not so sure that's bad, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, Dow Futures up 395 over in Asia. We've got uh, Nikkei down 527, that's 2%. Shanghai up 13.4%. Hang Seng down 336, 1.6. These guys are way up yesterday. This is, uh, we'll talk about this with Kevin in a second. This is really strange because the Asian markets were up huge yesterday. During the day, Chinese stocks that were listed here, like Baidu and those kinds of things, all got hammered, like 8 and 10% yesterday. So it was an odd day. It was after they stopped trading over in Asia, they all went down here. And obviously they're showing it some today in their markets. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX is up 447. They're like us. That's 3.3% if we're having a big down week. What's the up 107, 1.5? Tech around up 148, 2.4. You can sure tell the, the influence that the oil and gas with Germany has because they're, whichever way we're going, up or down, they're like at least twice the directional move as, uh, the FTSE and a little more than the France. So it definitely lets you know that they are more dependent on Russia than the other two. So we had a review yesterday, Dow was down 112, it was a slow day, uh, but, but down, S&P down 18, NASDAQ uh, down 125, which, which was a full percent. Uh, bonds, we're back over 2%, 2.01. The bond, positive 0.30 after being negative, I'm going to say seven days ago. That's, that's bizarre. Uh, I keep saying that every morning, this stuff is bizarre. Japan, uh, at positive 0.19, the highest they've been in a while. Oil, 
up a buck to 107. Brent up 130 to 110, but these are down from way down from their highs. Uh, natural gas up seven cents, 430. Our Bob up another dime. Well, for 326, it was 350. So uh, the gas to pump should at least steady this week a little bit. Uh, gold down 24 bucks, 17, 1976. That's a big move down. Silver down 36 cents, 2589. Copper up a penny, 466. And we have Bitcoin. Up 532 at 40,036. What do you have for us, Trevor Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's currently uh, March 11th and 6.37 a.m. Uh, first off, we're going to get you into sports. Last night in hockey, Boston Bruins beat the Blackhawks 4-3. to As well as that, Coyotes beat the Maple Leafs 5-4. to Both return back on Saturday night. In the NBA tonight, those Suns at Toronto Raptors in Arizona. In college basketball, Arizona Wildcats take down Stanford 84-80. to That's all we got for sports. In weather, though, it's a whole different story. Uh, not as not as cool, uh, too cool, I'd say. Uh, very snowy in Chicago right now. Uh, currently very, cloud- very cloudy uh, and 23 degrees. Uh, high of 35 and a low of 11 degrees. In Phoenix, different story. Very bright, very sunny and 45 degrees. High of 71 and a low of 45. Their low is our high. Uh, and now on to the uh, local traffic right now. Uh, traffic eastbound from 290 uh, uh, from Austin to the I-294 South Tri-State ramp. Traffic northbound Stevenson from Harlem to the I-94 East Tollway. Uh, that's caused by slow traffic on the exit ramp before I-90 West. There's a slowdown westbound from 94 on uh, US-6 to downtown. That's caused by an accident on the right shoulder at, uh, west at US-6. Another accident as well on 94 westbound uh, from an accident on 11th. As well as that, traffic eastbound 90 from Lee Street all the way to Lawrence. And that's all we got for traffic, but just to keep in mind, this Sunday, March 13th, daylight savings time, so don't forget to spring forward. Back to you, Chief. Um, don't forget that. You're here Monday, right? Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I won't forget. This is this is the rough one where you, you lose the hour the other way in the oh, yeah. in, in the fall it's not so bad but uh, anywho it's pretty nice in the fall yeah it's pretty nice so Kevin uh, there's a article here uh, regarding uh, before you do that I just want to remind people of our age that be careful when you spring forward don't hurt yourself yes the uh, <laughs> God the uh, interesting uh, well I just had it here where the hell is it. Um, Anyway, it's an article by from somebody who was, was talking about these. Uh, uh, actually, it's, we've had stuff of her. I don't, I don't know how you how do you pronounce a, a name without a a vowel, but we've we've uh, read some of her articles before, and she does a nice job. Abigail Ng. How do you pronounce that? Ng. What, what was that? Ng. Really? Okay. Well, it's, anyway, she's talking about when we talk about all these sanctions that we're using against the Russians. In Europe and everybody else, because now they're going to announce tariffs today and other kinds of crap. Well, they already have. Um, I, I'm, I'm very much in her in her camp here in terms of. Uh, he says the Russians have sustained more casualties than expected, but are still advancing steadily. The assumption that this is going to be drag out, the United States can sit back and watch the economic sanctions do their work may be gravely mistaken. Since this is part that I think the sanctions might be able to change Putin's behavior down the road. It cannot be used to stop the violence right now. Uh, and these are quotes from different people. Anna Obanyan of the Carnegie Endowment. So the idea that, um, within the next week, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, lobbying for anything different. I'm just, I'm just saying that, uh, I agree with this totally that 
if you think for a second that, that these economic sanctions in the next week or two are going to stop the Russian advance, I really think you got another thing coming. I, don't, I think they're, they're more for weakening the place so he can't do it to anybody else. I mean, I'd, even though they're being sold to us as, as something we're doing for Ukraine, I don't think it's for Ukraine at all, or for a very little bit, Kevin. I don't, I don't think it's doing any good at all. Between oh, and, and, and you know what? It's uh, remember, remember what? Like four years ago, we were all freaking out over the notion of a trade war. Yeah. And what do we have now? Well, a huge trade war. Do you have a? Uh, yeah. Do you have any? I'm springing this on you because I know you were probably teaching or something yesterday. I, I have not been able to figure out why exactly those Chinese stocks all dropped here during the day here after being not dropping or being up in their trading day. I, I heard something, and, and I just heard it in passing, so I, I don't know what the story is. and Maybe we can dig it up or uh, whatever. But it, something about them uh, uh, being in violation of U.S. accounting practices and that there might be some... Uh, some kind of sanctioning or trading stop or something that comes with that, and and I don't and you have just heard the sum total of what I know about it. Well, it, it has to do with the SEC demanding accounting records and stuff. I know that, but I, I Kevin, you know, I I don't know. As you know, I, the, 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 this show is not about answers. It would be nice if we come up with them. It's really about questions. Oh wait, 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 wait! I got all the answers. You got all the answers. Well, so it means people should just listen to me. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> yeah, damn it. Uh, we have we have some answers, okay? But I'm saying the whole point is is asking the questions that nobody else, for some reason, feels like asking, and that that's the part that really bugs the shit out of me, basically, about uh, the, the regular TV and radio. So as we're on radio, I can't say that, by the way. The uh, actually, I think you can before before seven o'clock. Uh, anyway, the uh, the 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 idea that uh, we we don't even ask the right questions of of, of of our people now. When, as you recall, you were on the show then, when uh, Alibaba was was listed. All right. Now, f- for those that don't know, and this, I'm just out of memory, so it may not be 100 percent correct today. But Jack Ma is the guy, right? Isn't he Alibaba? Mm-hmm. Well, but every asset, real asset, like. Cars, trucks, buildings, all that kind of stuff. And, and Alibaba w- en- ended up going to like Jack Ma. And what you got for being uh, the stock you buy here is, I believe, the income stream coming out of Bermuda or something along those lines. I mean, it, there's no way when I entered the business that the New York Stock Exchange would ever, ever have taken that listing. But now, is if it's if it's greed, it's for me. And no, no, no. We have Jack. We have Jack. My what? Like almost in jail. There was. There was never going to be, ever, ever. There was. There was never going to be, the normal, accounting firm, full audit like you're going to get with General Motors or Ford or somebody else or, or you know Charles Schwab or you name it. You're never going to get that kind of uh, scrutiny, on those stocks. But we had to have them here, right? Because somebody wants to trade them, and we got to do it. You know, and I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not saying we shouldn't have done it, should have done it. I'm just saying I don't believe that the the average shareholder of Alibaba had any idea what they were buying. They probably had no idea that the, the audits weren't going to be the same, or maybe didn't care. Maybe they knew and didn't care. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, the SEC's like, we're shocked, shocked. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> these guys don't have yeah, regular what lives. Going on here? Yeah, I mean, what, what what is with these people? What is wrong with this? I I just look at it and go, this can't be happening. This is like this has to be a, a mirage of some kind. You know, and and how many times? I mean, I I always have this habit of when I see a story and whether. You know, and and I try to look at them, and I, you know, I fail on some of these, and and buy into something that's that's said too. But but I really try hard to look and say, oh, that's too preposterous to be true, and so I'll dig into it a little bit more. And you know, a lot of the time it is too preposterous, and it's not true. Um, and that's a lot of the political reporting nowadays. But you know what? Every once in a while, you see one of these things, and you say, "That's too ridiculous. Can't can't possibly be the truth." And it turns out it is. Well, I don't think. I mean, they have the uh, the the ADRs are always are always these the depository receipts. And when I was on the trading floor, one of my one of my friends actually had a uh, he had a DPM, and I think it was I don't know, was it wasn't Pemex or Semex or something something. It was either the oil company out of Mexico or the, or the cement company out of there. And uh, and and they trade here as a as a depository receipt, and and this this is fairly common, but you would, you would think people at least here, it's not the same as as listing the actual stock though. I don't think is, but I don't I don't I don't know that the average shareholder has any clue that that the uh, the auditing for that stock in Mexico is probably not going to be the same as here, and the rules aren't going to be the same as here. I mean, I'm not saying the rule. Although intuitively, wouldn't you say, "Oh, of course it's, of course it's different." Well, you, you just have to give it, you know, a moment's thought. I don't think anybody would have would have uh, any any chance you thought of this this contrived way that that Alibaba got here. Not to mention the fact that the Chinese government can shut it down and take it. And what what they do to Jack Bass? He in jail? I mean, he's, he's he's you haven't seen him in ages. You have to give up his stuff. Yeah, he, well, he he was. Totally disappeared for a while, and I, and then I, I I think he sort of reemerged, but not in any significant way, you know, with any significant public um, uh, uh, profile. Yeah, I, uh, so that'll teach him to criticize the CCP. Oh yeah, I'll get you. Um, but you but you look, at, you just wonder why why can't we just do stuff the right way? I mean, the, the history of all this. Okay, this is going back a ways. Matt, the first time you've ever heard anything like this, probably. The history of all this, basically all this crap, came from the the, the nineteen twenty nine crash, from the from the a lot of the bad stuff that was going on in the twenties. Because in those days, the people who did all the pump and dump, or not all, but a lot of the pump and dump stuff that you you know you read in things like Wall Street and stuff, they were the banks, and 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 they would they would say, here's a here's a great company, here's here's Kevin O'Neill Inc. We're we're, we're pushing Kevin O'Neill Inc. today. Well, do you have like a a prospectus? Nah, <laughs> we got nothing like that. By the way, do they have an audited balance sheet? Nah, they got nothing like that. Uh, well, who am I buying it from? But you say it's a great stock. It's a terrific stock. Who am I buying it from? Well, us. <laughs> I mean, literally, Kevin, you would, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do this on the playground with somebody, right? And, uh, and, and with the Securities Act of 19, well, there's a couple of them, the 33 Act and the 34 Act, started to require these kinds of things for publicly listed companies. If you list a company, you have to have something called a prospectus, which basically says what the company's going to do, who the officers are going to be, how much you're going out for, what the balance sheet's going to look like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, your, your guesstimates of, of earnings going forward, things like that. You have to put out a prospectus for people doing IPOs. So you, you have to know kind of what you're getting into. 
and that has to be registered with the FCC. And the rest of the does not approve it. They just they just see that it's complete, but you do have to register. It has to be on file. And then uh, you know a lot of stuff about audits and things like that. You have to you know you have to do these things if you want to be a publicly traded company. Well, that was that was a revelation in thirty three and thirty four, but it has stood as well for like a real long time. I think now not that you couldn't tweak it here and there. Nothing nothing's perfect, but by and large, the investment community is way better off than they were in nineteen twenty five. Uh, I mean, I'm not big on government regulation, but this was one of the good ones. Uh, and the New York Stock Exchange had even more, uh, restrictions. And if there was a stock, if you were going to be registered in New York Stock Exchange, the exchange felt it was a real big deal. And for you to be there, it, it meant that your company was pretty much straight up. Not that none of them, but it meant that you, you not only did all the rules of the SEC, did all the rules of the New York Stock Exchange were in some ways were more, more, uh, you know, more strict than the SEC. Then all of a sudden, everything disintegrates. It's like the uh, the option stuff. The option trading used to be regulated by the exchanges, which actually understood option trading. Now we have a regulatory group, FINRA, which is a, a for-profit regulatory group, which meaning finding their own members is the way that they make money, which is so insane I can't even go there. Yeah, but uh, especially when you're one of the members. Um so I mean, it, we, we 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 keep walking down this road, but it seems like the money always triumphs, Kevin. And now we have a bunch of different exchanges. Nobody cares. Put one on someplace, and, it, and there's a big competition for for Baidu for the New York Stock Exchange and the Nasdaq. Well, okay, it's a stock that neither one of them would have taken 20 years ago, and now they're competing for it. Oh God, what if it's listed overseas? So what? Let them list it overseas. Who cares if it if, if it if it's a uh, an income stream through Bermuda, and you would have any any. You have any? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think you have any. Whatever uh, pull on the assets whatsoever. There's no income. You don't get anything. You can't even sell the trucks if there are any to, for uh, to liquidate the place. It's in China. I mean, you know, this is crazy stuff, Kevin. I, I, yeah, we, you know, we dig our own grave on these things. I think. Oh, I, I think so. We are definitely our own worst enemy in so many ways. Uh, it, it, but w- from w- with what you're saying and, and some of the thought process there, and it sort of ties into if we back up to Wednesday when we were talking about energy and energy policy, and what, what you were discussing with Dan yesterday, and uh, uh, and and some of uh, you and know, you by what email he was saying you by email, uh, and and I, I, I was reminded yeah. to bring this up because. Um, because you were talking about uh, what was it? What was my company, Kevin? Something or other. And uh, Dan was talking about you know that you, you don't want to invest in Joe's uh, solar company. You want right. to invest in uh, um, you know you want to invest in people who are in the energy business who are actually uh, uh, doing you know moving their companies step by step towards um, uh, towards renewables. And here's here's how I wanted to frame it. Um, there's something that strategists use to uh, evaluate their product portfolio. Um, it's it's a real simple construct, and it's just a tool, but it's a good one. It's a good it's a good way of thinking about it, and it, it's called the growth share matrix. And I can tr- uh, tweet out a short video when we get done. Um, and growth share is just it, it's really sort of like it sounds, where you're you're looking at is the market growing, and what's your share of the market, and if you plot those. And you have your four quadrants, um, you know. Th- then you have your your star products, where you have a big share of the market, and the market is growing. 
and you also may be in a situation where you have a small share of the market and it's growing, and there's oppor- that means there's opportunity for you, but you don't know if you're going to pull off that move. Those are called question marks. The lower right where you're saying uh, uh, low growth market and a low share, those products are called dogs, and you want to get rid of them. And uh, and then finally, if you have a low growth market and you but you have a high share, that's a cash cow. You have a dominant position, and the the strategic uh, implication of it is that you use the money that your cash cows generate until that until that uh, that whole market just fizzles out, and you use that to fuel your question marks and well to fuel your stars and to invest in your question marks and try and make them into stars. A classic example right now is what uh, Xfinity is doing, which is Comcast. And Comcast, uh, we all know them for their cable services, um, but cable is dying. People are leaving cable. They charge an arm and a leg for it. There's still a large customer base. Cable TV is a cash cow. But Xfinity is investing heavily into cellular technology. Because 5G is going to be the is going to replace a lot of that wire that comes into your house, and so whether it's cell phones, whether it is just cellular technologies and cellular networks, that's where their money is going. The big dogs in those uh, arenas are uh, companies like AT and T, Verizon, T-Mobile, etc. Those are those are them. So that's a question mark, and they're using the cash cow to fuel their question mark to try and make it into a star. How does this relate to energy? It relates to energy in that what what uh, uh, what Dan described yesterday with Florida, Florida Power and Light uh, uh, as a company that is investing in all kinds of alternative uh, uh, energies while definitely using its fossil fuel based as a, a means of being profitable and using those funds to fuel it is a really good, solid business strategy. Oh, sure. And Absolutely. it is just stupid that we have people in this com- uh, country very much in, with influence in government who are saying we should kill the cash cow and just move into the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the newer technologies. Because it's the cash cow that's going to fuel the new technologies. And it, it, the, the stupidity of the approach that we see from a lot of the uh, uh, Green New Deal people is just, uh, you know, incredible. How's that for squeezing five minutes, uh, 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 a whole class into five minutes, a whole well, strategy class into five minutes? Well, you, you mean, you're, you're right. There's a, but it's interesting when Dan, Dan talks about some of the utilities he runs into, these people must be in somewhat competitive areas because the the idea the ideas that he comes up with with these people he does what they do to, and share with him they're nothing like comet or Conet or I mean we're not we're not oh, even right. on the same planet I mean uh, no they 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 opt in, instead of for strategy and sound business decision making they opt for corruption yeah which is um, which has served them well for another way to do it yeah, it's another <laughs> way to do it served them well sure, that'll work. Well, yeah, I think you have uh, you have people that are, are in government that are making these rules. I mean, there's no question. I mean, the people we deal with the most, and they're, and they're, and they're not bad people. The people at, at Finra have, have have no idea what they're doing. They've never they've never been our, on our end. The people we first came into the business 30 years ago, uh, the people who worked for these kind of regulatory groups, had been in, a lot of times they'd been on both sides of the business. You know, so they would. Uh, 
they would uh, actually help you out in some areas, and if you, especially if you're starting out when we were, that you don't see any of that anymore. Everything is uh, we got you, you know, type of thing. There's no, there's no interplay. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, attempt to make the industry better. It's just that we got you. Yeah, they, they think their job is to catch you doing something wrong. Yeah, and and, and the weird part is, if you ever have a question, there's nobody there to give you an answer. But but when they show up for an audit, then they they know the answer absolutely perfectly, and you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and see, a good auditor is a collaborator. Yeah. Yes, they will tell you when you're doing something wrong, and you make it. You should you should get the opportunity to correct it. But uh, but it, it's really a collaborative process, and of course, that's not what happens with a lot of the government regulators. They're just there to nitpick away and walk away with some fines. And as you describe Finra, it's you know it's there to just collect fines. That's how it makes money. And but you and I had a, a great. We're not going not to be able to finish this one today because we got to dash pretty soon. But uh, this whole thing with the oil situation, and um, you know, it's funny, Kevin. People still say on TV that oil traded below zero. Oil futures traded below zero because of, of a glitch in the IB platform. Right. That's oil never traded. You 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 never gave somebody ten bucks to take a barrel of oil off your hands. I mean, yet people, it's going to be one of those things, uh, you know. Yeah, I vaguely remember yeah. that, that it was really more a function of uh, when when futures contracts were coming due and the ability yeah. to take the orders. It was, it was but the, uh, the, the if everybody remembers back in those days, I mean, now we see oil going up and we're, we're blaming it. And, and, and by the way, I, I am not a fan of either one of these last two presidents. And I, I think that they are, are doing damage and I wasn't a... I think the last four actually have done damage. I don't think we ever come come back from. But the uh, the idea oil has always been one of the one of the trickiest economic products. And I'll be able to go into some of this when you come back on next Wednesday, Kevin. But the trickiest economic product because it's it's so inelastic that all it takes is if we're using I'll use a number twenty barrel million barrels a day. If if we're producing or getting twenty one. It's enough for a price war and prices collapse. And yet if we're, pro- if we're producing 19, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and they like double. It's, it's the oddest industry in that regard. So if, if you go back over like 50 years or 100 years, you'll see whenever it's expensive, people run out and, and produce more, but they always produce more than the million you're short. They produce two million, then they launch you into this, the other side of it. This whole mechanism now where we're not producing quote enough oil, Really started with the with the Saudis and the Russians having their price war two and a half years ago, when the price actually did go down to twenty eight dollars a barrel, or whatever. And everybody in the Bakken's going. I mean, all the accusations at the time then were Saudis and Russians were trying to put our shale drillers out of business, and and we went from like twelve hundred. Well, and, and to an extent, I think that was true. Yeah, in, they did. in that uh, in, in that what they're really saying is. The most expensive thing that you ever have to do is the is pull the first barrel out. Yep. And and so they wanted to make that uneconomical. I and I think they were doing that to each other as well as to us. Yes. And so that and so we're, we're still kind of on the ass end of that. And on top of that, now you put this mess with the war and everything. You got a real problem. So it's not it's not just Joe Biden not knowing what he's doing. I mean. That doesn't help <laughs> at all, but it w- <laughs> it's true. But that's not the only cause. <laughs> what you're saying? Yes, basically. SP futures up 46. Nasdaq futures down one. Uh, sorry, up 186. Be right back, Mr. Carl Denninger. Kevin, the Irish, what a 10 seed, maybe. Don't want to discuss it until I see it. <laughs> oh, got it. All right. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, I'm still uh, uh, pouting. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, God, it was bad last night. We've been right back, Stacks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Something happening here. Well, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Mr. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up 44. NASDAQ Futures up 183. They were up uh, appreciably higher. The, the SPs were, the uh, NASDAQ was up over 220 or something. We have Mr. Carl. You do. How are you, bud? You got, a, you got all kinds of work to do this morning. You got to explain to me the uh, SEC sudden rate on these nasty Chinese firms that have only been there 10 years. Um, you got to explain what's going on with oil. You gotta uh, defend or not defend the guy here saying that these uh, all our, our sanctions we're doing against Russia might deter them for the next invasion, but it's sure not helping here, and it won't do anything in time. Uh, where are you in any of this stuff? Start where you want. Oh Lord, yeah. where, where do you want to start? I know it's up to you, but what do you feel like? What, what do you feel like bashing first? Well, how about, how about we mash the oil monster first? Yeah. So. How many people have forgotten 2008? Uh, virtually everybody. Yeah. Um, what actually caused the recession in 2008? Well, a lot of it had to do with the uh, housing. Well, that was. Did it really? Well, I'm going to say the leverage on top of the housing. Okay, let's 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 back it off a little bit further. Um, for the people who were out over their skis. And we're buying, you know, three houses supposedly to rent and, uh, and had a hundred thousand dollars worth of income and two million dollars worth of real estate out on ninja loans, um, which is the only way they could do that because nobody in their right mind would ever lend them that money otherwise, right? 
uh, yeah, okay, but that was a very small percentage of the population in terms of numerical numbers. When that leverage moved into the oil market in the middle and late 2008 time frame, all of a sudden, the bad impact of that leverage monkey hammered every single person in America oh, and yeah. everything they bought. Well, I've never been. Um, a, I've never. You know, I, I remember an article, uh, and, and we all know. Matter of fact, I still remember because uh, it's not like I'm. You know, she was let's just say exceptionally attractive. I was having dinner one night when one of our my friends had a, had a friend. She sat down with us, and I think she was a. I won't say steward as a flight attendant on United, and she was in the process of flipping like three houses. And I'm going, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, but, but still, um, Carl, we had sort of like the last year. We had uh, the the housing prices were, were creeping up, but up until then, you know, it's happened before where houses had flattened out. But nobody ever questioned the collateral of the U.S. housing stock. But there were there were there were, there was a guy. I mean, I'm sure you you maybe not have read the article, but I'm sure you know all about it. Was a guy from was he was from Hong Kong or someplace, and he puts out this position paper, and he said, "I've never seen anything like it in all of all of history." There's thirty five dollars of leverage on every bad mortgage that you and I could identify. It, it, it had moved up the chain like thirty five times, and and it was going here, it was going there, and uh, mostly because of the money coming out of Japan, people were borrowing at two percent, and they were buying mortgage paper here at six, right? So you you were getting the four percent slide or four and a half, because normally you and I would say, why, why does everybody fall over themselves to get six percent money? Well, it's it's easy if we can borrow at two. Even you and I, if we go buy, you know, twenty million at two and turn around and lend it at six, where we're getting four percent on twenty million, and it's not even our dough. Even you and I can make money doing that, right? So, but the funny part is, one the first place to go under, I believe, was uh, was it one one of the bearing subsidiaries out of London. And they went under, and their whatever their their assets were, they were they were in a hack for like thirty four times for as much as you thought they were in hack for. The guy was exactly right. So my feeling has always been, yeah, the mortgages and the assessments and everything went up way too fast, like you're saying, and I, and I get all that. But the Federal Reserve should have been the people that were on the what's all this money flow doing coming from Japan all of a sudden? And by the way, nobody. Nobody's completing the forward transaction because if you complete the forward transaction, you're not making any money, right? Because you gotta you gotta pay the interest difference to say five years from now, you're bringing the, you're bringing the dollar back into yen, correct? But nobody's doing right. That. And the, but the, you know that's just <laughs> look. The Federal Reserve it has has run this BS for the last twenty years. Okay, they they ran the same garbage in the late 1990s about yeah. how oh you know yeah there's some speculation but it's you know it's no big deal no it's, big deal, it's yeah. just it's just people being people and and the the reality is that that's never true no okay the the purpose the purpose of a allegedly independent regulatory agency in charge of credit creation. Because it's not money, folks. I, it, look, money and credit are not the same thing. They spend exactly the same way. They're fungible. They're t- completely interchangeable between the two, but they're not the same. Money, money is what you have after you produce something. Credit is what you have when you promise to make something tomorrow. 
And so the the entire point of having an independent agency in charge of this is that they are charged with saying no in essentially every case. But more important than that, Carl, they're, they're, when I say more important, I'm not, I'm not trying to one-up you. I'm saying they are in the position, you and I, you maybe, because you, you read this stuff more than I do, they are the people that, that are going to know what is all this money doing coming here from Japan? Is that healthy? Cause it, oh, absolutely. I mean, well, and that's the other thing is that because their their job that is the silent one that no one ever talks about, but is actually essential. And the reason you you if you got rid of the Fed entirely, you'd have to put something in its place, or there would be a disaster. Is that because they touch every transaction that crosses a national boundary? And they touch every transaction that has to be guaranteed and get there right now. That is everything that goes through Fedwire and balances the books of the banks. They know exactly what is going on. Down to the last dollar. Yeah, every check goes through them for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, every, every single check you write, every single electronic payment, every, all of this goes through them. And so they know where it came from and where it went to. And if they're not paying attention to it, it's because they're being deliberately blind. So there's there is never an argument that they couldn't see it coming because no. they not only saw it coming they knew it was happening. Yes, they're right in front of them. It's right in front. Of them. They had to, they had to purposely ignore. It. You know, let me make this one real quick point. Remember the remember the, the 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 window dressing portfolio that Goldman Sachs sold some uh, some bank over in Europe that was one of the first ones that blew up the mortgage portfolio. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. The, yeah. We well, you know the the demand. Because people keep saying, I can't believe they sold this. The demand for this crap, and I'll use that term intentionally, was so intense. You know that that that, that portfolio didn't include any mortgages. They were all synthetic mortgages. They had to create synthetic packages because the demand from the money from Japan was so high. There was there wasn't a legitimate mortgage in there. They they put synthetic ones together. That's how big the demand well, was. You know, the funny thing about it is that uh, someone who I correspond with on a pretty regular basis and consider. Uh, a you know friend is uh, is actually the person who more or less invented that stuff. That's Janet Tavacoli. Wow, she lives in Chicago, by the way. Okay, um, but yeah, and and so I mean, you know, and it, it, she's she spilled plenty of digital and paper ink over the years about the stupidity that went on during the you know the two thousand uh, you know the, the years leading up to the crash in '08 and. And that, uh, you know, all of this was ab- not only absolutely foreseeable, but everybody that was involved in it knew darn well what they were doing. <laughs> and didn't care. And it's, and the, part of the problem is that we have created a system, uh, after the 1990s where you don't actually go to jail when you screw up and you get caught and something bad happens. Well, no board member ever even gets spanked. I mean, you're not even gonna. Who was it? Was it Countrywide? I, I correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The the, the uh, Mr. Toupee before before the uh, Orange Man bad thing, right? Yeah, but I mean, but the yeah. Well, God, he was the, the orange the orange guy with the. He always had the shirt with the white collar. I never liked the ones with the white collar and then the, like the dark blue shirt. I always thought those looked kind of weird. But anyway, well, I, you know, I, one of the reasons that I have half the people that read my stuff is that I went out on, before the market ticker was published, and, and you know, was on its own server and everything, I was on some of the Yahoo stock boards, and I, I went out publicly and said, I am short countrywide in size. 
Well, weren't they? And, but how do you? And, be, and people said you're going to go broke. You're going to go bankrupt doing that. No, I'm not. The company's going bankrupt. <laughs> well, the problem with that is you you're usually ripe. You're usually early. So, but well, I was I was a little early, but then but but not by very much. And uh, you know and that trade worked out very nicely. But it, you know the thing is is that it, and the reason I did it was he was all over CNBC screaming about how he was going to be the last man standing and you know and, and all of these little guys were all going to die and he was going to get all the business and i'm like you know clown face you are, you have exactly the same business model as the other dudes do the only difference is your size of your company and all that means is that the bomb that you're sitting on is bigger <laughs> well, how could you be in i mean you know, I, I was on one board and you probably on more but i'll probably never be on another one again because i i talk about what i used to say on that one nobody wants me uh, but if you, how could you be on that board? I, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I didn't, didn't they, didn't they have mortgage insurance and like 40% of all the properties in California? How the hell, if you're on that board, how do you, how do you not say, wait a minute, wait, 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 we're talking about two, three million properties. We have more mortgage insurance on it. Like, how big are we? <laughs> what, what, what if this goes down? Where are we going to get this money? <laughs> I mean, didn't anybody ever say, wait a minute, how many do we, do we have out there? I mean, I mean, for God's sake, Carl, I mean, how, how big, if you're on that board, if you, if you had, if you, even if you had to realize you didn't have enough fingers and enough toes to count this up, and once you do that, you're like, what are we doing here? But what do those guys do? They just go down to a tuna fish sandwich and leave or what? Well, it's, uh, again, what it comes down to is that nobody, you know, be, being a, on a corporate board, and, and by the way, I've never been on one of them. They, after the 0708 time frame, nobody in their right mind would want me because I would not allow that kind of thing to go on without raising a big stink about it. Uh, but the, the, the biggest problem that you have with stuff like this is that you're supposed to be a fiduciary, which means you're supposed to be held legally accountable when you sit around with your head up your you-know-what oh, yeah. and ignore stuff like this. Well, but nobody ever is. We make we make uh, secretary of something something. What's her name was on the uh, Enron board? Phil Graham's wife. Yeah, it, I mean this kind of stuff's crazy. Those people all should have gone to jail, and and of course you know nobody does anymore. So this is I mean this is a big part of the problem that you have with with what's going on. But but I will argue, and and frankly I think you've seen probably seen the top in oil prices. It also doesn't matter. We're in a recession now. That what has happened over the last couple of months in oil is going to percolate through everything in the economy. It's going to destroy consumption ultimately because it's going to destroy price and in the upward direction. And it, and it is in absolutely everything. People have this concept that we can have green energy and we don't need petroleum. Da 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 da. You sit at your desk. You look at the things that are on your desk in front of you, and and I will bet that you can't find more than two or three items that were not manufactured with petroleum in some form or fashion, and every single one of them relied on it to get it to you. I'm going to I'm gonna say, Carl, that uh, and this, I don't think I'm going to get much disagreement out of you, because right now, today, I, mean, I didn't like throwing 105 bucks in the Suburban and not even seeing the needle go to full last week. I uh, wasn't real happy with that. Um, but I'm going to say that still, oil doing what it's doing, to a to a regular, how can I list? What's a regular American? Are you regular? You're never, uh, to a regular American, it's this spike there is nowhere near as dangerous 
is a guy making fifty-five grand a year with a ten thousand dollar deductible on his on his on his hospitalization. It's nowhere near as. Oh yeah, no. This is. I mean, you know, well, my daughter. She just, she's got my old Jetta, my old three Jetta, which, you know, gets 50 miles a gallon. So, I mean, it's, it, as, as things go, you don't have to fill it up very often, right? She just commented to me last night. She ran, you know, she got low on fuel, had to go to the gas station. And, uh, yeah, she says, you know, Dad, this is the first time I've had to put more than 60 bucks in that car since I was like 17. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, we were at four bucks a gallon when in 2000 and, well, now I go. I remember being over four bucks before. Well, it's know. five for diesel. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, even, you know what doesn't help you at all is if you got an E, I don't have one, but if you got one that can use the E85, it's the same price. It's not helping you at well, all. Well, yeah, and you know, there was, it, it was kind of interesting because, um, a few years ago when my mother got very ill and died and ultimately passed, uh, the E85 in, other than the Midwest is, is, uh, you just never see it. All right, it's uh, nobody sells it. But up in Michigan, uh, I I came up there and, and it was it was about forty percent cheaper than gasoline. Yeah, yeah. Well, it has less energy in it than uh, you know than regular gasoline does. So most of the time, it's it's actually not. I, my truck will burn it. I have a suburban that's flex fuel. It can burn a eighty five, but essentially never has it made economic sense for me to put it in there. Because instead of getting 18 miles a gallon, it's 12. Okay, well, okay, um, if you're going to sell to me for, you know, for enough of a cheaper price that the difference is worth it, yeah, I'll fill it. I, that's fine. But it, the only time it has ever happened was during the space of about six months. Um, we had a, a gentleman, Ann, who was from that industry. And uh, actually, it's it's cleaner running, and you actually get a little more power. But you're right, it, do, it doesn't give you the same amount of uh but he claims that if the if you maintain if you can get that kind of a split, it used to be like you say eighty cents a gallon difference or something. He goes yeah. ma- maintain the the alcohol piece. So your regular your regular gas is is ten percent ethanol or uh, ethanol, right? Well, it's, it, it, yeah. Now they're trying to push to allow it to be up to fifteen. But the the secret is up to ten percent, and and depending on where you are in the market and things like that, it could be anything between zero and ten. Okay, but he, his point was, don't if you have a flex fuel vehicle like you, don't fill it up with E85 because you're right, you're not you're not going to really gain anything. But he said if you you do the math and maintain it at thirty percent ethanol, if you do that, you you lose very little mileage and you save a bunch on the gas. Um, well, the split has to be there for it, right? And, and like I said, there's only there was only one time. That it was worth it for me to burn the stuff, and well, you, it, I remember, you know, that one time, okay, it was that was fantastic. It saved me a decent amount of money, but it was you know it was for a space of a few months. Well, but he was saying that the, the right the right level. So in other words, if you got a twenty gallon tank and it's empty, fill it up with like sixteen gallons of regular gas, which nets you ten percent ethanol. Yeah, then put five of the eighty five. Yeah, five of the eighty five, and he said you, you you lose virtually no mileage. The thing runs cleaner, and it actually has a little more power. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know about the the thing runs cleaner and has a little more power thing. Uh, maybe the the you lose almost no mileage. Um, I'm sorry, BTUs are BTUs, and uh, you know, I mean, you, you you can't do anything about that. 
physics physics are not and thermodynamics are not suggestions. Right. So, what what is it about? Is it the long lead time? Because Kevin and I were, of course, bouncing back and forth in emails yesterday. I love jousting with Kevin because you always learn something. Uh, plus, you get to give him grief too, which is it's always fun. Um, is there any other industry, Carl? I mean, I was learning this in college. You know, the the uh, and I, I said this the last few days, and people think, "What is, what is this guy even talking about?" It is uh, oil is very short term inelastic, but very long term elastic in terms of the supply, and uh, it, and it, it's always been in one of those situations where if if you're using twenty million barrels a day, pick a number, and for some reason. Uh, we're, we're producing 20 and a half for whatever, you know, or, or the Saudis get a hair up there behind, have a little, little, a price war or something. All of a sudden the price of gas can drop, you know, like 20% and, and, and what, a 1% difference in, you know, whether it's too much or a little, or too little in a, in a group. So all of a sudden 15 rigs go offline and now all of a sudden we were, we're half a million barrels a day short. All of a sudden you go from, 280 in gas to, to 350. You know, it's, it, it really is the tail wagging the dog and, and the industry's always been like that. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I was tracing this oil fiasco back to the, the price war between Russia and Saudi where they were trying to put the frackers out of business and when was that? Three and a half years ago or something when we went down to God knows what on, on the gasoline, it was under two bucks. Right. I mean, so all of a sudden people get out of the business, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden now we're a little short. We get a little war, you know, upper behind, which causes a problem. And now we're, we're not that much short. We're like a million barrels a day short out of about a 20 million we use. But all of a sudden at, at the margin that oil has been very, very susceptible to always, we always have had these swings back and forth. If you go back, you know, since I started to drive a long time ago, I couldn't remember it. But it, it, the oil, it, this is like the worst industry to have that happen, right, Carl? Because it. Well, yeah, but you know, here's here's the, the, one of the things that I argue. One of the reasons that I spent an entire section on my book in 2011 on this on energy and and, and, and a sane energy policy for America, and and I have a long article that that Wiley allowed me to essentially lift out of the manuscript and publish and stick out on the on the web where you don't have to you know pay for the rest of the book right because you know they own the copyright on it that's that's how it works when you have something professionally published um, and but the bottom line is we we have the capacity we have the technical capacity and know how and we've had it since the 1960s to have a stable source of not only electricity but also petrofuels for transportation we knew how to do it in the 1960s the Germans laid the groundwork for it during World War II. We figured out the other half of it, which is the energy source to drive the reaction in the 1960s. We refused to do it because it happens to be nuclear, but it is not suitable to producing weapons, and we want a dual use. And and as a result, we have these fluctuations. But if you think if you think about why why it is that we used coal as baseload generation for electrical power. For so many years, it has nothing to do with us being pigs. It has everything to do that with take take a look at the price of coal over the last thirty years. Yes, it does go up and down, but what it doesn't do is have the crazy wild spikes that oil and natural gas have. And as a result, you can reasonably predict what it is going to cost for a ton of coal to stick in that boiler and make power with it 
somewhere out into the future. And that means you have able market. And we could have done that. We could it would have been a ceiling. And I'm sure when you know when oil is twenty dollars a barrel, uh, this would not have been an, an economic process. Okay, I, I'm certain of it. However, it would have absolutely stopped this nonsense that we're seeing right now, where you're seeing six, seven dollar gallon fuel, because it's cheaper than that. And by the way, if you don't think so, SAS oil is doing it without using the energy feedstock down in South Africa. So we know it works. Well, yeah. Plus, you the whole complex. There's there's people that are pulling stuff out of the ground at eight dollars a barrel, so they're they're flying high right about now, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, you, I mean, you're a trader, I'm a trader. We understand how this works. A common person does not. Every single barrel of oil that you want to burn today is going to going to cost you 106 bucks. Right. Well, because that's what the price is today. Right, but the, you can buy a future for eighty bucks. So six months now it'll be eighty. Well, but, but yeah, but I mean, again, and for those people, and and you saw them show up again. It happened the last time too. They were, they've been running around on, on the big TV screaming that oil's going three hundred dollars by the summer. Da da da. da. Um, gee, does has anybody looked at the futures market? Because you, you and I both know it's not just the front month QM contract or the WTI contract. You can buy them all the way out for a couple of years. Right. Okay. Fine. So what is what is the expected price? What is the current trading price on that contract for uh, say next May or next next June? Because that's you know it's one of the quarterly. Right. I haven't looked at it. About eighty dollars. Let's say eighty bucks. Low eighty. So about eighty bucks. And so all these people that are running around screaming that's going to be three hundred. Tell me how many of those contracts they're long because if the answer is zero, they don't believe a word of it. Um. Somehow, as we've talked, I haven't talked about much. I talked more about this with Kevin, um, and uh, and uh, maybe maybe Lou. But the somehow or another, the idea. I don't. I think this. I don't know how you fix it, um, and, I, and maybe we're guilty of it too. I don't know. I say we, the people on the show. Uh, I don't think we are, but I try not to be. But who the hell knows? Uh, this this an influx between an all day show. In news, the combination there, people represent themselves as being news people, and they're not. And and there, there is no. I mean, before the show, I came in this morning. We were we were early. Uh, some I put on CNBC, and there's I could say her name, blonde lady, attractive. She's on all the time, and she's talking about what how incredibly great stocks are down eleven percent, and what a screaming buy they are, and basically send her money, and she'll put it in the market for you, and you'll never look back. And only the idiots sell here, and. You know the shoe clerks, as my stepfather used to say, and without any disrespect to shoe clerks, and uh, you know only chumps. And and you know what, Carl? I I don't know. It's been like that for twelve years. That every time it went went down, you've held your nose and buy. Some one of these days, it might be different. I have a sense that this might be one of those times, but I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna protect people's stuff. I'm not gonna tell them to go to cash. Plus, you know, people are gonna do what they want to do. So, but the idea that that her testimony. Is somehow that that's a news station that has nothing to do with news. It has to do with her opinion and the fact that she gets paid a percent for every dollar you send her. Okay, right. that's not news. I'm sorry, it's just not. And it, it, but it, it sort of represents. It's kind of in the in the gray area between you know BS and, and news somewhere. And I, it, it, you know, and then the guy, and the one guy comes on afterward. And he's going crazy about how the U.S. is behind the world on Bitcoin, and I'm going to say. The guy owns Bitcoin. He's telling everybody else to go out and buy it. 
That's not news. I'm sorry. It isn't. In my mind. It just isn't. Yeah, but this is, I mean, this is just the way things are I know, right but it, now. And, I, you know, I keep, what, what I keep trying to explain to people when it comes to things like this, or, or for that matter, you know, the other thing is everybody loves to scream about, oh, you know, we have to do green energy because global warming and da da da. Okay, explain this to me. If Barack Obama truly believes that the sea level is going to rise by, you know, 10 feet over the next 50 years, why did he buy waterfront property and put millions of his own dollars on the table that will that will be an aquarium if he's if that is a true claim. Right? I you know, people shoot their mouth off all the time. What I and and sometimes it's for good purpose, sometimes it's for bad purpose, sometimes it's just because they like to shoot their mouth off. But I always look at what their wallet does because nobody that I've ever seen goes out in their front yard and lights hundred dollar bills on fire. No. No. All right. So you know, I mean, if, if <laughs> unless if, if you've got some politician or some person or whatever screaming about this or that, the other thing, and they just bought a twenty million dollar waterfront house in Martha's Vineyard, um, uh, yeah. Okay. I think we're, I think that conversation's over in terms of what they really believe is going to happen. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a policy position for whatever reason, but it does mean that they do not believe that that house is going to be an aquarium because the minute that it becomes apparent it's going to happen, Carol, it hasn't a, even happened yet. We the value is zero. Right, we got to go to break, but real quick, uh, for, for a Luddite like me, a, a, a Midwest lobby, how many houses are on Martha's Vineyard? Oh, good Lord, I don't know. Like thousands or hundreds? It's it's not a huge number, but they're all extraordinarily expensive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, as he, I'm trying to figure out how big's the club. Is it 200 people, 400 people? Oh, the club's fairly decent size, but but it's not huge. So it's not five thousand houses. It's it's under under thousand. Yeah, my guess would be something like that. Yeah. Yeah, one of these days I got to get out to one of these places. SP SP futures up forty six. Nasdaq futures up one eighty. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. 
At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Matt Byrne on the board. SP futures up 45. Nasdaq futures up 178. As Putin uh, indicated, there might be some progress in the ceasefire talks, or he was because they had some. Uh, I'm going to say, where are we, Friday and Wednesday, that they said the Russian guy showed up and he never even bounced off whatever his his cue card said. Well, evidently Putin said they're going to go back to the talks and maybe this time there'll be some kind of movement. So we're, we're, we've popped up on that. Again, the timing, or the Dow futures were up like 350, only up, only up 289. They're still up pretty solid. Uh, over in Asia, now this happened, I think, after these guys were closed. So you got the Nikkei down 527, that's 2%. Shanghai up 13, 0.4%. Hang Seng, however, down... 336 uh, minus 1.6%. And this is on top of uh, yesterday, a lot of the Chinese stocks were down. The SEC is now concerned about the uh, stocks that are duly traded here in China not having the same uh, counting rules and so forth. Is uh, Anyway, they're looking into it. Now, this, those stocks were down on our exchange yesterday, kind of midday, which is kind of odd. But matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen that before. A DAX up 402, that's 3%. Uh, FTSE up 98, 1.4%. CAC around up 140, 2.3%. Uh, as a way of review, yesterday Dow was down 112, S&P down 18, NASDAQ down 125, so down, but nothing crazy like we've been seeing. Uh, bonds, 2.01, so back up over 2, uh, race back up over there. Uh, the bond, this is the crazy one, crazier one, was negative, I believe, last Friday. Now it's positive 0. 0.30 again, which is actually the highest as it's been. Uh, Japan is uh, positive 0. 0.19. Oil, the rally on oil. Well, the rally on oil has dropped. It's only up 13 cents, 106.15. Brent only up 4 cents, 109.37 or up more earlier. Natural gas up 9 cents, 4.72. Our Bob up 6 cents, 3.22. Gold, whack, whack, whack. Uh, down 22 bucks to 19.78. Silver down 39 cents, 25.86. Copper unchanged, and we've got uh, crypto Bitcoin under forty thousand, thirty nine thousand five thirty eight. Remember, these guys were forty four thousand. I think in Wednesday morning, when the uh, uh, government came out and said they were going to do all this research into crypto, so they've they've given all of that up. Uh, Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Hey, good morning. It's currently seven thirty five a.m. on March eleventh. Uh, first, let's get you into sports. Uh, in hockey last night, the Boston Bruins beat the Blackhawks four to three. The Arizona Coyotes beat the Maple Leafs 5-4. Both 
uh, the Blackhawks and Coyotes will be back on Saturday night. Uh, in the NBA tonight, Suns at Toronto Ra- Raptors in Arizona. In college basketball, Arizona Wildcats take down Stanford 84-80. to Now for the weather in Chicago, currently partially cloudy and 24 degrees. We had some snow earlier this morning, but it's starting to clear up a little bit. High of 35 and a low of 11. Down in Phoenix, sunny skies, 44 degrees, a high of 72, and a low of 44. Now into local traffic. Uh, Traffic eastbound 290 between Independence and 17th Avenue. Traffic westbound on 290 between Wolf Road all the way to downtown. Traffic northbound Stevenson between Illinois Route 171 and I-90 West. Uh, It's caused by an accident at the 53B ramp, and it backs up all the way to 18th Street. Uh, traffic continues uh, westbound, 94 between 51st and East Ohio Street. That's caused by an accident on the left shoulder at 43rd Street. Intermittent traffic between uh, eastbound on 94, Cicero Avenue to West Fullerton. Picks up again at North Greenview all the way to South Union Avenue. Traffic westbound, 90 between Lawrence and Higgins. Traffic eastbound, 90 between Cumberland Avenue and Lawrence. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 31st all the way to Grand Avenue. And that's all we got for you, Chief. Back to you. The um, all kinds of stuff. Questions here. You, you mentioned uh, the uh, Nan- uh, Martha's Vineyard. I talk about wild, wild stories, Carl. I had a buddy from college who actually leads into our somewhat of our uh, our oil story. Uh, anyway, he he graduates uh, Notre Dame Business School. And he's interviewing, interviewing, right? And uh, he finally gets a job in uh, manufacturers Hanover. Remember the another bank that got swallowed up by somebody, right? So his, his, the bid for him is like 11 grand. <laughs> this is like 1976. And the guy had been the, in the summer, he had been the, the bar manager at some place out in, uh, on, uh, Cape Cod. So of course he's making way more than that. So the deal he cuts with these guys, I'll come work for you for 11 grand, but by the way, you gotta let me do my summer job work where I, first where I actually could make some money. Cause remember, in those days you had to, if you went to work for a bank, they wanted you, you were expected to look like the president, right? So it meant like five suits, 20 shirts, 10, you know, 10 ties of, that cost you dough. So your entire salary was, was spent in Brooks Brothers like your first day in New York, right? Well, he ends up, uh, hooking up with these other people. And one of the things they did, uh, I mean, you probably know this. I don't know if the listeners do, but in some areas in the Midwest, I'm kind of rounding back to your coal argument. We, we, of course, we sit on a boatload of coal. But Illinois has well, like a century worth of coal for for like the whole U.S. Right? But it's so high sulfur, nobody wants to use it. And you, if you go go toward Virginia or or uh, Wyoming, they, they have the anthracite coal, which is what it's way less sulfur. But the the, the stuff here. But anyway, in some states, and you probably know more than this than me, but Ohio sits on like kind of a a, a shallow bed of like natural gas, don't they? Where it's not enough for you to to dig a well and actually like you know have a national gas company, but if you have a you know a fifty acre site with a factory on it, you pretty much have enough that if somebody drills there, you can power your factory off your own gas. And his this guy ended up work, working for a group. That's what they did for people. They did these. They would go and do the drilling and basically uh, sell you your own gas. They'd lease the gas rights from you and sell you your own gas back at a at a real cheap price. And they they did right. real well with that, and, and I think they probably still are for that matter. I mean, I don't know how many sites they have, but I mean, quite a few. Yeah, and that you know, I mean, that's part of the that's that's sort of the 
you know, the thing about uh, about energy, though, is that everybody loves to make noise and virtue signal and, and you know, rah, rah, around whatever the, you know, the shiny object of the day is when it comes to that. But as a nation, if we're going to be a serious country, I mean, you, you know, all you got if, if you want to know how successful this entire program of you know everything has to be green, it has to be renewables, it has to be wind and solar, whatever. You want to see how successful that's ever going to be? All you got to do is look at Germany, which did it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. They turned all their nuclear power plants off, and they they not only did they scrap, did they shut down the coal fired plants? They scrapped them, so they can't turn them back on. Well, some well, some they did. Some they, they reversed it like two weeks later, so there's still have a few going, I think. I was reading that the other day. Well, on the nuclear side, they, you know, they're still there because, you know, it takes decades to, to actually dismantle one of those because your first step, if you shut one of those off, is that you have to wait for the fuel to cool down to the point that you can take the cap off the reactor, and then after you take the fuel out of the reactor and put it in the spent fuel pool, you have to wait a couple more years before you can take the fuel out of the spent fuel pool without it catching on fire. So until, until yeah. that happens, you, you can say, oh, well, you know, we were wrong, and go turn it back on. <laughs> well, what's a real side question? It's always curious to me. The last nuke I think ever built here is the one at Zion, and they turned it right off. Is it, what is the deal with that plant? I mean, I figure anybody know, you know. Well, what was wrong about that design? Why can't they just fire that thing back up? Or, or they're never going to tear it down, it look like. I mean, what's what's the what's the deal with that? There, there isn't anything wrong um, with with the design of modern, and and by modern I mean pretty much anything that you know, wasn't built in the nineteen sixties. Uh, even the older boiling water reactors. So there's there's two common designs used for civilian power production in in size. And that's boiling water and pressurized water. The the difference is that a boiling water reactor uh, uses the primary coolant, the water that's in the reactor vessel, as as actual drive. That's the steam that's generated that turns the turbines and makes the power. A pressurized water reactor does not boil the water in the primary loop. It keeps it under extremely high pressure, but it does not boil. And they use a heat exchanger that then goes to the second, and that creates steam that then turns the turbine. There's there's advantages and disadvantages to both designs. The pressurized water reactor is a more complex design, so complexity is the, you know costs more money. It it brings in other areas of risk, um, it, and so I mean there's uh, you know there's good and there's bad. Okay, yin and yang. Um, but the 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 units that melted down in Fukushima, for example, uh, did not melt down because there was an earthquake. They melted down because there was a tsunami that shorted out all their switch gear, and so their generators were useless. Most of them got drowned in the tsunami, but even if we had airlifted, and we had them in Japan, the United States, the military had them there, even if we airlifted generators on site to keep the circulation power available, their switch gear was destroyed. So the wiring and the, and the contractors and all that stuff was destroyed by the flooding because they put them too low. They didn't put them up high enough where that wouldn't happen. And as a result, even with power, it was inevitable. But here's the, here's the cute part of this. GE, which was a manufacturer of these units, years later, after they were originally built, came out with a retrofit kit to solve exactly this problem 
that was a steam-driven turbine that would continue to provide enough additional water feed into the unit so that as the, the pressure went up and it boiled off and they had to release some of it, they'd use that pressure as a means of providing additional makeup water into the unit, and therefore everything would be fine. You didn't need any electrical power. All you needed was enough power to run the gauges, so you could do that off batteries, and so you know what's going on, and the valving can be operated by hand if it has to be. So if everything goes down the toilet on you, the reactor's safe. Well, guess what? The, the wonderful people over at TEPCO didn't want to pay for the retrofit, so they didn't put it in. Okay. It, well, that's why it melted doesn't down. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. Okay. Well, okay. So, so basically, the bottom line is that nuclear energy is extraordinarily intolerant of human stupidity. <laughs> well, what is it when you go by the one southwest of Chicago and they have that massive lake there that's even warm in the wintertime? You go by when it's five below zero, the thing's steaming away. What is all the cooling water needed for? Well, so this is this is one of the reasons that I I have issues with our use of those two particular designs and think we ought to be using uh, liquid fluoride salt. Um, the the maximum productive energy output from a heat engine, I don't care what it is, it's a car engine, a nuclear, the nuclear-fired boiler, I mean, you know, the nuclear plant's just a boiler that happens to use nuclear reactions to produce the heat, okay, that's all it is. But the maximum efficiency is determined by the difference in Kelvin between the input and the output. And that's it. And there's no, there's, this is thermodynamics. You can't get around it. We're, we're talking physics here that cannot be, you cannot violate the laws of physics. What are you saying? As a primary, is that there is a temperature at which water is not a liquid anymore, irrespective of the pressure. And, and water freezes, of course, at 32 Fahrenheit, right? So that is the range of operation that you have available to you. You can never do better than that, and it ends up limiting your maximum efficiency to about 30%. So two-thirds of the energy you generate has to be dumped somewhere and does not come out the other end of the plant as electricity. And that's why you need those huge volumes of water, because you have to have some way to get that energy out of the unit. Okay. And, and it's wasted. It's literally wasted. But there's no there's no way to to co- collect that somewhat somewhat differently. No, there's I, that's the maximum efficiency that you can achieve, and that's one of the reasons that the liquid salt units are a superior answer because they can run much higher temperatures because they don't have that boiling problem, and they also don't need the high pressure containment, so they're safer as well. And as a result, the efficiency is higher, and you could put them in places where you don't have access to that enormous amount of, of water, which, by the way, happens frequently where there's a lot of water like that. happens to be places that are either seismically active or could get flooded by hurricanes or tsunamis or whatever have you because you need this huge body of water. Where, where is that? On the coasts, by you know, large bodies of water, et cetera. Well, this one in Illinois, where they made the lake, right? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, you know, that was their answer to this, right? But now but now you have a lake that, uh, you know, is kind of not so useful for anything else, right? Um, saunas, I guess, <laughs> in the wintertime. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I guess you could have, you know, the, the human-made hot springs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The, uh, what, a, uh, how, how does, in, in this age we're going here, because Kevin and I were firing us back and forth on emails, and I, I don't... Again, it's you know it's criticizing our politicians because they don't seem to. I don't know how we can change 
government come getting the people out. Just you know, forget the faces. Forget you know, <laughs> you know, forget what's his name with the with, with the the wife who was on the uh, Wells Fargo board. What's his name? The the guy who's going to be the, the Senate leader ahead again, the, the Republican guy who's useless in my 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 mind. Uh, who's the who's the Senate leader up until Schumer? Oh, uh, Reed. No, uh, the, the Republican guy. Oh, oh, McConnell. McConnell. Yeah, yeah. So to me, him, him and Schumer look like they're the same guys with just different faces. I mean, it, the same crap comes out of both their mouths. I mean, I, I, whatever. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and and McConnell is is. I mean, you want to talk about terrible? I, I I don't understand how anyone thinks we're getting better or worse based upon who sits in the left seat on that side. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it either, but. The uh, and his wife and and Pelosi's husband, they should be married. Boy, talk about people that have sucked off the government trough forever. For God's sake. Um, anyway, having said all that, how do how do we turn turn the government around? I mean, I, I don't want a, uh, a, a Z running the place here. I don't want a dictator for life. How do we turn our constitution that was you know probably one of the greatest documents ever written? How do we amend it somehow to to have people at least look forward than the next election or the next week or the next envelope in their pocket? Is there any Chief, way to? Chief, no, I'm not talking about. Is, wrong, there, is there any way to redesign at all? I mean, is would it be? Chief, three why, why do we need to? T- tell me what's wrong with the with the actual words on the page. Uh, I'm going to say there's there's two things wrong. With the with the Constitution, okay, um, and, and 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 I'm not criticizing the guys because the, by the way they're all dead. Criticizing people that are dead doesn't do anybody any good, even though now we're doing that. Columbus and everybody else. Uh, I would say there's two things wrong. One is they did not anticipate. Uh, I'm going to say that you and I both believe that the invention of the corporation was a very good thing. It it allowed people to do a lot of stuff without personal liability. And blah blah blah. What the board's uh, directors are supposed to be watching? Well, of course right. they don't. They don't. So I'm, I'm not sure that's correct. But that's not part of the Constitution. But the when the Constitution was written, you and I may talk an awful lot. But guess what? We're going to be dying one of these days. And, and, right. And uh, a corporation for that to be a person that never dies. Those guys never anticipated an individual being able to co-opt 435 people in Congress. And be around for two hundred years, yet these corporations are. I don't think it. I don't think it addresses that. Okay. And I also don't think. And never. You can say what you want about these guys, and they were, they were regular people. They half of them were crooks. They knew that's why you have right. checks and balances. I don't think they had any idea, um, Carl, that somebody in New Hampshire would ever try and and rig a a or or, or uh, influence a. Representative election in South Carolina, you you couldn't get there by horseback in time to do it. And yet, I, I think that's a problem. I don't, I don't want, I don't really don't want. If, if somebody in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, wants to spend forty bazillion dollars on the representative election there, I don't have a problem with it. Really, I mean, I want, I question why he is buying the thing, but I really, I just don't want somebody from California or Texas doing it. And the Sheboygan, yeah. Election. All right, so let me. <laughs> here's here's the reason that I asked the question. The Constitution and its and its first ten amendments contain all of the limitations to prevent the sort of corruption that has occurred 
over the last 250 years in the United States. They, they prevent the, the, the language, the clear language in the Constitution prevents all of it. Now, you have nine black-robed SOBs that sit on the Supreme Court that say that whatever's, that, you know, what, whatever they feel like is what those words mean. We know that's a bunch of BS. It's the same thing as, as Jerome Powell going up on Capitol Hill and all of his predecessors, by the way, Bernanke, Yellen, and everyone else, uh, saying that, that 2% is stable prices. Okay? Yeah. The word stable is explicit. It means what it means. It does not mean that inflation is 2%. It means prices are stable. Well, guess what? We as people, as a population, have every right under the Constitution to force the words that are actually on the page to mean what they say and to take the, and, and if not, to do whatever has to happen Hopefully it doesn't involve violence. Hopefully it doesn't involve terrible things. But we have the right to make that document mean what it says. And if you don't think we do, then we don't have a right to exist as a country because we told the King of England to go stick it when he refused to listen to us and set it up in the first place. But if you want to look at the one, the one very one thing that we, it's, it would be impossible without at least the threat of a revolution to fix it, unfortunately. We made this mistake, and, and we did it during this idea that bigger government was better, and, and it's a terrible error, and that's the 17th Amendment. Without the 17th Amendment, it would be impossible for virtually every single thing that the federal government has done that has shoved a mandate down the state's throats. Education, welfare, all Medicaid, uh, all of these things that have been insanely protective of, of, of the sort of, of business environment that you're talking about, the corporations that stand forever and things like this. Without the 17th Amendment, that was impossible. All right, and all right. the reason it was impossible is because the, the legislative body in each state could turn around and say, you're out of here and yank their two senators and force them out of office. Uh, what are, okay, run, run the 17th Amendment by the rest of us that don't The 17th know. Amendment is the amendment that says that senators are elected by popular vote in the states. Prior to that, it was up to the state how it handled its senators. And the legislative body in a state could turn around and yank their senators out of the Senate and say, uh-uh, Come back here. We're replacing you, and they could do that at any time. So the Senate never, in that time frame, was able to shove something down the states' throats that the states did not want. It was not possible. Okay, I get it. Right? And if you look at this, if you look at the expansion in the scope and the spending of the federal government, the explosion happened immediately following that amendment being passed. And, and by the way, putting it back to where it was, the, the founders did this for that explicit reason. They made the Senate that body, controlled by the state legislatures, specifically to stop what happened from happening. Well, the, uh, it was intentional. It wasn't an accident. It was intentional. I still don't, I, I'm not so sure how, even if you went back to the other way, how that 
that that's that's. I mean, I, I, how could anybody even have anticipated in seventeen something something the size of a of a Microsoft or an Amazon or something? But like it, that? but it doesn't make any difference because if Microsoft was to turn around and say, "Boy, oh boy, we really think that everybody that's poor." Um, should have free paid for by the government health care. And oh, by the way, uh, two-thirds of that uh, that that has to pay for it uh, is, is on the state budget. Okay? The federal yeah, government will kick something into it. They'll block grants and money to the states. But but the states have to do it. And if they, they can say no, but if they say no, then they don't get the federal grant and everybody else does. Okay? Which is the cudgel that the federal government always uses. It's, it was the one that was using the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit it, it goes back forever, okay, since this thing started. And the, the, the state legislatures could turn around and say, you vote for that, you're out. You're coming home, you're not a senator anymore. And that was the thing, was that we had, we had a federalist system where the states held the majority of the power along with the local governments. It shifted to the federal government as soon as the 17th Amendment was passed. And the only way you're ever going to get rid of it short of a, a complete replacement of the government, which, by the way, is likely to be a disaster if we ever do that, because yeah. for every George Washington, you get ten Hitlers. Uh, it, I mean, that's just the history of the planet, is, well, is to get rid of that amendment. But the problem with doing it is the Senate would have to vote to ratify it, which means they'd have to vote themselves out of a job, and we know how, how likely that is. <laughs> well, it's like the Chicago uh, City Council, the 50 of them getting together and say we only need 40 of us. That's not going to happen. Well, yeah, so, I mean, the only way it happens is if the people of the country were to rise up and say, you will do this or else. Well, that's why, that's kind of the, when I talked about a, I, I honestly think, and I don't, I don't want to change, like you, you know, 95% of the Constitution, I can't even tell you the five I want to change, but I just, I, I would say every 50 years or something, everybody needs a constitutional convention. I mean, the city surely does. I mean, you, that would be a, I don't know, a charter convention or something. We don't need fifty boards. We got a lot less people. We don't need that. I mean, we right. don't. I mean, the, the, the state would be. I would say that the people in Illinois now, first thing I would do is put the state legislatures as a full time job. I, I don't. I don't want those guys being part time. They're making too much money to be part time. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't. I would have no problem with paying them more. But that's a full time job. That's not. That maybe you have less of them or something. But that I don't want those guys being lobbyists in, in their side job. I mean, I mean, there, there, there's there's bits here that I think over a period of time we've figured out are not are not exactly uh, uh, kosher. Let's put it that way, to use a Yiddish term. But the uh, I don't have I, have I mean I have issues with some of the way that the fact that these corporations now can can pay every single person. It's yeah. I mean I I went to a couple of the uh, and, it, and it's not about. Um, what they're trying to accomplish or anything? Uh, what's the uh, American Israeli uh, Affirmative Action Committee? It's uh, AFAC, AFLAC, or the hell it is. She went to a couple other things, and these guys are are huge lobbyists, right? Oh yeah. But I mean, it. And, but the amount of work and the amount of, but they don't have anywhere near the budget that Microsoft does. We, right, we, and that's well. And but the thing is, it's you know, again, what we come back to is that. The design, the, the design of the federal government was for it to have the people on one side checking their power or advocating for them to do things that they wanted them to do. Carl, we're going to have to dash and pick this up next week because it's a yep. topic that, you know, is interesting because clearly as cities change and everything, 
You still got the same amount of people. They're getting paid. It's goofy. Absolutely. Uh, the S&P futures up 33. Nasdaq futures up 149. Carl, Carl, have a nice weekend. Bet on the winning teams. We had basketball. Be back on Monday. Stocks and Jacks. You bet. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. My father is no different than any other powerful man. Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president. You know how naive you sound. Why? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Who's being naive, Kay? 